You're listening to the Sunday podcast from Life Point Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. We are in the book of Luke today, Luke chapter 11. So take a moment, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 11 as we talk about what it means to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And if we could raise the house lights, that would be fantastic. It is dark. I like to look at you in the eyes, bring conviction and shame. And uh, I can't do that if it's dark, okay? This morning's message is titled, Bread and Temptation. Bread and Temptation. When Jesus teaches us to pray, after he's asked us to say, Our Father... Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread and help us to forgive others as you've forgiven us. Lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. It's an interesting prayer because it's a prayer combined with two things. We're gonna look at them here this morning. It combines boldness of going before God Almighty and asking something almost audaciously. And it also combines an extreme humility and submissiveness to this same guy. And how those two interact are, what, are, are not only the key to understanding a relationship with God and who God is, but they're also a key to the, to the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to be looking at this this morning through the life of Martha and Mary and then what Jesus does following that. So if you're at Luke 11, you can just look back at Luke 10 right there next to you. Uh, verses 38, starting in verse 38 of Luke 10, and it reads like this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I want, I want to stop there for a second. This is how chapter 10 ends. It doesn't give resolution. It doesn't tell us what the one thing is that Mary has chosen that is better It doesn't even really appease Martha's need. I mean, it doesn't change the fact that she still has Jesus and his disciples in her home and has this food that she has to prepare and this whole, all the work that still needs to be done. And it would seem that her sister Mary has just gotten out of help using the Jesus card. But I'm sitting at the feet of Jesus. You do the work, Martha. Yes. You see, verse 10 has to be understood In light of verse 11, this is narrative writing. Dr. Luke is writing this, and it is a narrative. And you cannot understand what Jesus is talking about if we don't move into 11. But this is how 11 is read. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, there it is, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend. 
And he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend. Yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? What if he asks for an egg? Would you give him a scorpion? If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? This is God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, help us to see and understand the things you are showing what you were showing your disciples and the truths that lead to us here today. May we see the heart of what it means to be called a child of you. and May we understand what you were doing when you gave us this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So Mary and Martha are two different kinds of people. Would you agree? Mary was, in a sense, the cultural ideal of her time. She was contemplative. She was quiet submissive in that culture in that time that's sort of what was expected of the woman Martha is our cultural ideal her personality is drawn out very clearly not just here in this story but this is the same Mary and Martha uh, sisters to Lazarus in John 11 at Lazarus funeral Mary and Martha's brother has just died right Jesus says roll the stone away you remember what Martha says yeah (laughs) he's gonna smell are you crazy He's been in there for a few days. This guy's crazy. Don't roll the stone away. He's dead. (laughs) She is a leader. She is assertive. She is goal-oriented. She is a busy person, right? Does it sound like anybody here in this room? This This is the ideal. This is not just for women, but this is the cultural ideal of men and women for us today is to be goal oriented, assertive, and busy. Be busy. Yesterday, I didn't really do anything. I went out early in the morning, played some golf, came home, and didn't do anything the rest of the day. And I kept looking at the clock and being like, okay, I should really go outside and do this. I should really do this. And as the day went on, I continued to do nothing. And it was everything I hoped it would be. Can I tell you that? (laughs) But at the same time, you feel guilty. You feel like, as I look back, there's so much I could have accomplished yesterday. There's so many projects outside that I needed to be done. There's uh, stuff inside that could have been done. There's extra work that could have been done. And our culture says, keep going, keep going, keep going. And we have to fight off feelings of shame and guilt. Well, this is Martha. Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, you're worried and upset about so many things. The word worried there, the, the Greek word there is to be torn up inside. That's what it means. You are torn up inside. You are completely a wreck. You are anxious, and I'm telling you, Martha, there is only one thing that is needed, and what's he say? Mary has found it. Mary has found the one thing. But this is us today. We don't have identity unless we're successful. We don't have identity unless we get a lot done, and we don't have identity unless we are needed by other people. 
Oftentimes, this leads to us overestimating our ability to control life, and it also leads to us underestimating our value and worth to other people if we are not busy and accomplishing things. It's so important for us to understand Martha in this story in light of the Lord's Prayer and how Luke draws the narrative together. You have to see this and understand what he is saying to Martha because he does not give an antidote. Luke does not tell us how Jesus finishes that sentence to Martha, or if he does. We just know that he says, there is one thing, you are upset about many things, but only one is needed. Jesus says this, I have an answer. I have an answer for you, Martha. Mary has found it. Mary has found the one thing that is needed. What is the one thing? It's prayer, right? The very next verse, it says, one day Jesus is with his disciples. It's a continuation of the narrative, and it says, they say to him, teach us to pray like John's disciples would teach them to pray. So Jesus teaches them the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be thy name, our Father. Thy kingdom come. Do you notice it's a shortened version than what we read in Matthew? It's a more direct version than what we see in Matthew. It's the, Matthew's sort of the longer version of it. I want you to see something here that one of the things that is going to be, feel like a contradiction, is that in this prayer, Jesus is asking us to be submissive and humble and bold and aggressive at the same time. At the same exact time when we come before him. When we want to find our identity, when we want to understand what we're supposed to do in any given situation, he's saying, this is how you approach the situation. This is how you handle the stress of life, the worry of life, the failures of life. You handle them this way. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. What is this kind of prayer? Well, first of all, in Ephesians 3.20, Paul is talking about this, and Paul says this. This is Ephesians 3.20. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask, all we dare ask or think. Paul says to a God who is able to do more than you could possibly ask him. Take your wildest imagination. What is it that you could ask of God? What is it that could increase the happiness and the joy of your life? What is it that would provide you with meaning and power? Paul says, go ahead and ask. Because we have a God who is exceedingly abundant beyond what you can even fathom. See the audaciousness there? See the abundance, the boldness there? This is God as well. This is what Jesus is saying. Give us this day our daily bread. Does it say, does it say, may I have this day my daily bread? Is it a request? In Matthew and in Luke, it is not a request, is it? It's a demand. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. These are demands upon an almighty God. And Jesus says, when you approach your father, approach him this way. Now, the thing is, as we look throughout scripture, we can see that those who understood God, those who are considered uh, the great characters of faith, they understood this. If we look at Moses in Exodus 33, we see his prayer to God, and he basically is saying, look, God, you have to listen to your promise 
You have to look at your name. Look at your name. You are God Almighty, Yahweh. Look at your glory. Do these things because of your name. Do this because of your glory, because of your word, and because of the covenant you have made with our father Abraham. God, you must do these things. Can you, do you pray that way? Do you pray that boldly? That assertively? Almost sort of arrogantly to the Lord? Why not? Look at the last words of the passage here in Luke. He says, whatever you ask him. It's rude, it's bold, it's aggressive. Why is it that we don't pray that way? Well, one of the reasons is we're unsure we even have the qualifications or the right to, right? Who are you to pray that way, comes the voice in your head. Who are you to go that way before the Lord? Do you remember these thoughts you had this week? Do you remember how you talked to your children, how you talked to your spouse? Do you remember when God brought across opportunity for you to be uh, forgiving and loving to someone who was down and out and you went ahead and just blew it by? Who are you to go before God so aggressively, so boldly? Anybody ever heard that voice? Anybody ever have that sort of check in their spirit whenever they go before God to ask for something? That's a lie. But the reason we believe the lie, the reason we give into it, the reason we allow it to keep us from going before our Father, which is in heaven, boldly, is because we do not understand the identity of the prayer. The identity of the prayer. So on the one hand, we have this bold proclamation. You need to stick with me here. Follow me on this one. But then Jesus also says we must pray very, very submissively. The first line of the prayer is, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and then give us this daily bread. Now we, for the last two weeks, have talked about this. We covered the our Father, which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We spent the last two weeks covering that, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. But if you have that perspective, you see, those words are healing words to your perspective on life. Your perspective on your problems, your perspective on your perceived um, uncomfortable situations, inconveniences that life brings you, those words are meant to heal. Because, Lord, it's your will. It's your name which is hallowed. What does hallowed mean? Sacred, ultimate. Come on, sacred, ultimate. It is the most sacred, the most ultimate. Lord, Father, you are the most sacred and ultimate, and therefore may your will be done. May your will be done. Do you see how submissive that is? How humbling that is? What Jesus is saying is before you come with the needs that you have, before you come with your personal needs, there must be an experience of healing your perspective, which is why you start with our Father, which is in heaven. That way I could get his perspective. Well, what's his perspective? His perspective is his glory. It is the loving of other people. It is putting others' needs ahead of your own. That is his perspective. And when you pray that way, you're saying, God, heal my perspective that I may see others in my life as you see them, that I may see opportunity in my life as you have presented it. The submissiveness of the first sentences of the Lord's Prayer set us up 
to be able to pray boldly for our daily bread. To be able to pray boldly for the things that uh, keep, uh, cause us to stumble. To ask him to flee, free us from temptation. To ask him for the help to forgive those who sin against us. You see, once you get past God's will, God's kingdom, then and only then can you get to your own needs. Because here's the thing, otherwise, we don't actually know what daily bread is. You hear me on that? What is your daily bread? What is it that you actually need on a day-to-day basis to survive, to live? Air conditioning, amen. Whoever said that? Right? He doesn't say to pray for our daily filet mignon, our daily me time, our daily bananas foster. He doesn't say, he says, pray for your daily bread. Lord, give me my daily bread. But the problem is, if his perspective, if my perspective, I mean, has not been healed by those first two sentences, if when I approach my father, I do not see things in light of what is important to him and his kingdom, then I will misinterpret the things that are life-giving. See that? I will hold on to things in my life which I believe are giving me life, which I believe I need so I can breathe. I can remember when we were kids, I would, uh, my brother and I would come up to my father and we'd say, Dad, 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 we need a new pack of basketball cards. We, or we'd see those TV, you know, commercials on TV. I need a new super soaker. I need a Rock'em Sock'em Robots. I need a Nintendo 64. You with me here? And my dad would always say, you need? As in you need to breathe, you need to eat, you need to, no, stop it. And he would say it every time. We needed one of these things. And I hated it. But now that I have children, I use it and absolutely love it. (laughs) Oh, you need? You need that, huh? (laughs) You're not going to know what those things are until he has healed your perspective on who he is in your life. Unless his glory is your center, we're going to center our lives on the other things that this world presents as possible centers, as possible values, as possible needs. Let me give you an example. One of the reasons we're driven to work so hard in this culture, in spite of the fact that we say, God, you are my savior. Lord, you have rescued me from hell. That, you know, the fiery place with the devil, pitchforks, demons, it looks awful. You have rescued me from that. You are my savior. So I go to church. I read uh, the Bible. And you are the center of my life. But is he? Is he? I I see more people where their career, their financial situations... That's their true center. That's their worry. That's what keeps them up at night. That's what... uh, causes them to set aside things that are important, like relationships with family. Because the truth is, and I'm not speaking against working hard, I'm asking you what your center is. What is it that you are really, truly giving your all to? You see, somebody might say they have a lot of trouble forgiving somebody who had really embarrassed you. And you'll say God is your savior, but functionally, your reputation and your approval by others is actually your center. That is actually what... You need, I need approval of others. What if you failed in some way in your past 
and you just can't get over it. Take a moment on this one. What if you have failed some way in your past? Bob, who gave the the tithe word this morning. What if Bob would have looked at his life, would have gone into that church and said, I am not worthy to be in these doors with a God like this. I have failed. But he didn't. Thankfully, Bob didn't. See, we take the things that we think we need, and even though we call God our Savior, our true center, our true needs, our true reason for living is often a different thing than our Father who art in heaven. Jesus Christ gives us the prayer in this order, and he says, before your daily bread, you must know your perspective is off. And when you pray to me this way, I will heal your perspective. I will heal your needs. That's what it means to pray submissively. So he tells us to pray boldly. He tells us to pray submissively. To show you how off our perspective is, look down at verse 11 and 13 of Luke 11. He says, how much more will your Father in heaven give you? I want you to imagine the dialogue here between Jesus and you, okay? Jesus comes to you and says, hey, ask for the stars. You say, what? Ask for anything you want. The greatest thing you could possibly ask for, ask for it. I will listen to your prayers and I will grant you what you ask for. Uh, Come again? Yeah, don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Ask for it and I will give it to you. How would you react to that? How would you respond to that? You see, Jesus has actually already said that to you. And then he says, for example, ask for the Holy Spirit. Ask for more love. Ask for more character, more power, more joy than you've ever had. Don't be afraid and ask for it. And then you say, I knew it. I knew it. I'm supposed to ask for things that are basically character traits. Love, joy, peace, character, uh, world peace, um, starving children, starving dogs like things that are for other people. That's, I knew it. That's what he meant when he said, ask for whatever you want. Not, you know, 60 acres and somewhere gorgeous with a massive house on it and uh, wonderful children who always listen to me and a spouse who always listens to me and all of these things. That's not what he meant. Amen, yeah. That's not what he meant. I knew it. He wants me to ask for the Holy Spirit and the Christian stuff. Right? Ask for the stars. Ask for whatever you can imagine. Ask for it. And we look at it and we say that is way too good to be true. And we think it's too good to be true because we know our way of thinking. We're thinking our career. We're thinking our family, our love life. We're thinking our finances. We're thinking our uh, schooling, our profession, our hobbies, our interests, our skills, our talents. And we're thinking of a way God could bless them so we would be the greatest. That's the exact perspective God is trying to heal as he teaches his disciples how to pray. They witnessed the interaction between him and Martha. They were there as they saw Martha lovingly get told, Mary has chosen what is important and it will not be taken from her. 
even though there was so much that needed to be done. You see, what Jesus looks at us and says here is, do you need a better career? Do you need more money? Do you need a better love life? Do you need a better family? I wouldn't speak out loud this time. I would just... (laughs) I know that guy. We're going to talk later this week. (laughs) Do you really need these things? Or, or... Do you need the kind of joy, the kind of character, the kind of love, the kind of courage, the kind of wisdom that will enable you to handle anything life throws at you? Do you need the power of God's Holy Spirit in your life? You see, if God answers your prayer for career, you're still going to have problems in your life. If God answers your prayer for family, you're still going to have problems in your life. If he answers your prayer for finances, you're still going to have problems in your life. And so if God comes, and if your perspective is, Lord, you said to ask anything of you, and so I am asking of you, finances, family, and career would all be perfect, then what would happen? The other seven billion people on this earth would come and they would mess up your perfect world. They bump into you. And you would all of a sudden now have to start praying that God would either eliminate them somehow or that they would get on board too so that they could have a perfect life with their 60 acres and their perfect family and their big home and their wonderful career. It's not how life works. So Jesus is saying, you ask. You want boldness? Ask for it. You want joy? Ask for it. You want character, integrity? You want the capacity to have patience in situations that are difficult? Ask for it, and I will give it to you in greater amounts than you could possibly understand. Ask for it. If you want an example of this, of hearts being centered on other things, this is the story of Martha. This is why it comes before the Lord's Prayer. Look at Martha. She has a prayer, and so she comes to the Lord. She comes to Jesus with her prayer, and she says, Look, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work? Help me, Lord. I have all of this work to do, and no one around to help me. Martha thinks she knows what she needs. She, her perspective believes that her daily bread, her needs, she believes she understands how God should answer. Jesus says to her, I, I won't. No, Martha, I won't take from Mary the time that she is spending with me. Here's the thing. The real problem in your life, Martha, is that you think you're doing this for me, but you're doing it for you. You're doing it for you. Your work, you need to be in charge. It's the center of your life. The reason you're miserable is not because Mary is not helping you. It's because this stuff is more important to you than me. you hear me this morning? Can you draw the parallel there this morning to your own life? It's not that I'm not answering your prayers or that I don't care about you or that I don't love you. It's that if I were to answer that prayer, it would be completely devastating to your life. It would destroy you. And because, as Luke says, how much more was a good father 
going to give good gifts to his children. Because your perspective on what you need is off kilt, I'm going to help you out, Martha. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to show you what you actually need. So look at this. How do we transform ourselves? How do we come to understand this idea of submission and aggressiveness? And it comes through one way. We'll close with this. It comes through one way of understanding. Your idea of your relationship with God has to be transformed from peasant and king to father and child. It's the only way to get it. There is no other way to get it. There is no amount of theology. There is no amount of church. There is no amount of college, uh, Christian college or education or reading the great thinkers. There is no amount of psychology or ethics that you can read and you can study that you will ultimately get to it. It will all let you down and it will all leave you empty if you do not see him as father and you as his son or daughter. And here's why. Verse 8, it says, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend. Yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Isn't that an interesting story there that Jesus is telling? It's an interesting parable, isn't it? He's saying, be bold. And the word bold here, it actually means shameless. Have no shame in the way you go knocking at midnight on your friend's door demanding bread. Now, this is fascinating because as it means shameless, it means sort of rudeness. If we look at Hebrews 12, at the end of Hebrews 12, it says, let us worship the Lord with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The word reverence here is the word eidos, which means abjectness, in the dust, complete reverence, right? Now, the word that we're using here in Luke 11 is the word un eidos, or un, or irreverent. Irreverent. When you go to God, pray irreverently, pray shamelessly. Well, wait, where, which is it? Do I come to God Almighty in reverence as, I, as if I'm in the dust, or do I come to him irreverently? Which is it? It seems like a contradiction. Well, it's both. And allow me to explain this to you. If, if you've been here for any amount of time and you've seen me out in the lobby afterwards greeting people and talking with people, you will see at any given time, one, if not all three of my daughters come up to me and interrupt the conversation, demand to be picked up, or they will ride my legs, literally get on there and ride them around as I walk, and they will care less that I'm in the middle of a conversation. They don't even notice you're there talking to me. I could be on a phone call in my office during the week, and if my wife comes with the kids, they will just come and push their way into my office. Dad, dad. And I've allowed that, and I have not put any barriers in place to stop that, and I want to show you why. In the way that Christ said, unless you become like one of these little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven, he is making it as clear as, as he possibly can. You see, your child loves you. They, they, my son loves me so much. There is nothing that I can do wrong in his eyes. I, I am the ultimate for him right now. And so he comes to me with boldness. He comes to me and demands to have things. 
many of which he shouldn't have, most of which I will not give him. But then, on the same level of innocence, he comes to me as I'm walking out the door, very busy this week, and I'm late for a meeting, and as I'm walking out, he goes, Dad, 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 yes, what is it? And he begins to tell me some inane story about this game, Fortnite. And it is so, as I'm sitting there, like, and he's in detail. And then I built the ramp, and then I jumped on the ramp, and then he shot the ramp, so I fell down, so I rebuilt the ramp. I'm telling you, it went on like this for another three or four minutes. It was absolutely horrible. But wonderful. You see... He doesn't worry about coming before his father and requesting his father's time or requesting of his father the things he needs. He comes boldly before me. And at the same time, there is a reverence. There is a reverence when he is doing something in the house and I hear one of his sisters scream, all I have to do is say his name and he comes out with his tail between his legs and already a thousand excuses of what happened. There's a reverence, a submissiveness, a humility. That's the relationship God is asking. That's the relationship he's seeking. Unless you come to me as one of these little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Religion is this. Religion is I give God a record of my righteousness and then God owes me a blessing. The gospel What the Bible teaches is this, God through Jesus Christ has given me a perfect record of righteousness which I receive by faith and then live for him. And that's how both Hebrews 12 and Luke 11 are not a contradiction but actually live in harmony with one another. Do you go to God that way? Can you go to God with that kind of boldness as a child? Do you go to God and not worry about what what, what you have done or the things that has separated you because you believe that Jesus' record of righteousness is what covers you? Or do you just sort of know it logically, but it doesn't actually play out into any other areas of your life? See, this is the misconception about Christ, that he was just a great teacher who said a bunch of really nice things to help us leave, live neat, little, meek, humble lives. Couldn't be further from the truth. Because you see, when you realize you're a child of God and you begin to go to God as his his child in 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 a mix of boldness and humility, then you get all the blessings that he promises. He pours them out. He pours them out. And many people stopped following God because they asked him for something and he said no. Or he didn't say anything at all. Life just played itself out and it didn't go the way you wanted and you say, that's no God for me, that's no father. What kind of a father would allow that to happen? What if the thing you were asking for was a snake? What if the thing you were asking for wasn't the egg but was the scorpion? You see, I said earlier, my children ask for stuff all the time. That's not good for them. But does it mean that I ignore the need or the want? No. I give them what they actually need. They ask for ice cream for dinner, and I give them real food for dinner. They ask 
for hours late at night on electronics and I put them to bed at a reasonable time and tell them to read a book because it's what they need. It's what will help them grow. Your Father in heaven does the same exact thing. Martha thought she needed her sister's help to prepare the banquet. But what she actually needed was to understand who Jesus was, who she was hosting in her home that day. That's what she needed. In some sense, there's no such thing as an unanswered prayer. I don't know why God turns you down. I don't know what you have asked for that he has not answered. This morning I got word that our friend Kelly, who's been suffering with cancer, took a pretty bad turn for the worse last night and this morning. We've been praying for years and we've seen her healed and completely in remission right back to being in the worst shape of her life. I don't know why God has not just answered that prayer and wiped it out. I don't know. I don't. But I know that Jesus looked at his disciples and said, if you who are evil, who are evil, he doesn't say you who are sinners or you who are flawed. He says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more does your Father in heaven but I need my perspective on who God is healed. I need it healed before I can pray this way. And that's that's actually pretty simple to do. The Bible says we come before the Lord and we say, God, I am a sinner. I am worthless. I am rags. But because of your righteousness, because of Jesus and the cross, I am your son or your daughter. And I receive that identity. I repent of who I was and I turn to go the other direction. That is it. What I just spoke are the words. What I just spoke and the meaning behind it is exactly what Jesus is teaching us. If you want the identity as his child, speak those words today. If you've been a Christian for a long time, but you've more or less looked at your relationship with God as an ambivalent creator and you sort of his humble subject, then I encourage you to have boldness today to ask God to see him today as as your father, not as some distant king. Let's pray. God, we are a country of Marthas. We are a country of busy people goal-oriented, driven people. And that's a good thing on a lot of levels. But when it comes to you, God, it is a bad thing. You have not called us to be driven with you in such a way that we have to work towards a relationship, that we have to earn anything, God. We can earn nothing with you. From the moment you created each one of us, you loved us as much as you ever will which is fully and completely and eternally. And God's sin separates us from that. And so we pray, I pray here this morning that those who are hearing these words and your spirit is turning their heart towards you as a son or daughter, that you would give them the boldness to move, to make a decision, to step up. that you would uphold them in that, Lord. In Jesus' name.
ushers forward as we prepare our hearts for communion. Communion is the reminder every week that Jesus was given the snake. He deserved the egg. He deserved nurturing. He deserved life. And yet he got the justice for sin poured out upon him so that you and I could go to the Father with this clear conscience, with a clean record and come before him as my children do before me and just say, Dad, I love you. Can I interrupt you? Can I bother you? Can I tell you my needs? Can I cry out to you? myself, the sin of the world. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins, that we may receive his righteousness. As you come forward to one of the three stations up front or the three in the back, I encourage you to let the words of today's message wash over you. I am a child of God. I will approach him as my father. I will approach him in a way that his will is most important in my life. And then I will demand and ask for my daily bread, for freedom from temptation, for forgiveness for those who wrong me. Because he is a good father and he loves you so much. Father, bless this communion, this bread and this juice. We bless it in Jesus' name. May we never forget what the cross means and what the sacrifice means. And God's people said, Amen. Go ahead, I invite you to do that, and we'll close with worship in just a moment.